0: spirit less broken.
1: To have a spirit less broken just means how do we tend to that spirit.
0: You know we want to understand these injustices. We want to understand how to be better people. There's so many things that break us spiritually.
1: Here we are again with the spirit less broken. Patrick how are you?
0: I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be talking post-election and post, you know, soon to be Trump. And I'm just happy about that. That's been- I think soon to be
1: post-Trump would be a better way to say that sentence. (laughs) But yes, I know what you're saying. Today we're talking about the election. All that comes from that. And we have a special guest with us here today. We are welcoming on Kenny Donaldson to the podcast. And Kenny and I got to know each other last year when I was a Jesuit volunteer working in uh, ministry at Detroit Mercy. Kenny is a senior now at the University of Detroit Mercy, and he's pursuing a political science major, a history minor, a leadership minor, and a certificate in legal studies. He's also the president of the Student Government Association, and he's the vice president of fellowship of the Alpha Pi Omega Service Fraternity. And after graduation, he'll be pursuing a legal career with plans to attend law school in the near future. I'd also just like to note that he is a very kind and very generous and caring person. And we got to know each other well on some trips we went on. We went to El Paso together. We also went to DC together. Patrick was on that trip, and so we've bonded. Uh, and so I just know that Kenny has a real heart for justice and really cares about these things. And so I'm delighted to welcome him on to this episode where we're going to be talking a little bit about the election and uh, Biden. What a Biden administration will look like. So welcome, Kenny.
2: Thank you boys for having me. Miss you both dearly. I'm gonna have to come out and visit both of you, explore America a bit more, post-Trump, you know.
1: We're all in different places in this country, kind of pivotal, uh, well, I'm in New York. Not. I mean, that was not that pivotal in the election. It was kind of known. <laughs> but uh, Kenny, you're in Detroit, Patrick and Philly, you know, very key cities to this past election.
2: Yeah, definitely. When I tell you, did, it, it, it was interesting up here. I I I made the call early. I said Trump's losing Michigan. People called me crazy. They said they didn't know what I was talking about. I was berated for weeks, gentlemen. But guess who was right? Guess who was right? <laughs> Billy, have I been wrong this entire time? I think I called the states. You have not. That's amazing.
1: I have to say that's amazing. I yes. I was less happy with you when you said like a year ago today that Biden has to be the nominee. When I was still rooting for Bernie, but at that point you were like Biden's a guy, and I guess you had a little foresight. So,
2: look what the way I explain that is is structurally like did I was Joe Biden my first choice for president of the United States? Absolutely not. No, I would not say Joe Biden was my first choice, but I was thinking more strategically and practically. I was, I was looking at the rest of the field and said nobody had a shot. And then the only other person that had a shot was Bernie. And if you watch the debates, the, the interesting play from the Trump campaign was to try to paint Joe Biden as a radical socialist. Crazy as it sounds, you know, Joe, crime bill Joe Biden is a radical socialist. But <laughs> <laughs> beyond that, what if they actually had a self-proclaimed socialist on the ticket? would I think they would have ate Bernie up. I don't I don't think that would have ended up very well. I think Trump cruises to a second term. I think Bernie would have got chewed. Mm. So mm. look yeah. Bernie's probably going to be secretary L- labor secretary. That's fine. Working to raise his minimum wage. Elizabeth Warren's probably going to be in the treasury. So there's still progress being made. He's still leaning on his team. Although the figurehead we probably would have wanted, you know, isn't is isn't at the top.
1: Yeah, yeah, so that's what I want to start with us each answering the question of that uh, Saturday morning when, at least I think it was Saturday morning, I slept in that day
0: and I, I even... can't believe like you slept in, not in like till the morning, it was like almost noon. I told do you that. Almost till noon on election like not election day, but when we yeah. were going to find out like, yeah, so... like a baby, like nothing. Bad. It's my
2: biggest, my but biggest so... question is how'd you sleep, Billy? Like how'd I was, sleep? I didn't
0: sleep all week. <laughs> you weren't watching CNN and all of the like the graphs and things.
1: I had to, uh, I had to get some sleep. So what had happened was that I woke up to these cars honking and these people shouting because I'm in Manhattan and I texted my friends. I said, what's happening? what's going on? And they said, are you kidding me, Billy? Like, did you not know? Do you not know? And so, so then I saw that Biden had, you know, been declared the winner and everyone's very excited. And, uh, yeah, the the, the news around that day was just this excitement and how people were chanting in the streets. And so, you know, I just wanted to ask you guys each to share how did you feel that day? Uh, yeah just to open it up with that.
0: I think for me, well, the whole, I mean, I'm in Philadelphia, like you said, Billy, um, and the whole week of of election day onward, there was helicopters all around Philly, like, that were, there was news helicopters and who knows what else, like, was flying up and making noise, but there there was just so much media around where I live in center city. Um, so like that's pretty much downtown Philly and I'm very close to the Philadelphia convention center where there, that's where all the ballots are being cast and um, recorded and counted that was the space and there was protest outside there Um, nothing too violent at least you know from what I saw on the Philadelphia Inquirer and and just you know from walking over you know and seeing with my own eyes but um, just that whole week it was like whoa it kind of felt like a crime sort of situation and crime scenario rather than like excitement and that kind of, you know, thing. But once we found out that Pennsylvania went Biden, um, there were celebrations in the streets of Philly, like there were, you know, so many other cities across the country. Um, and it was a blast to be outside and, to hear like Bon Jovi being played on the main street, right outside city hall. Um, and even that night, just hearing like bands being performed and, and um, that kind of setting, it was just so much life and so much energy and just relief, I think. <laughs> okay, like this is a huge, huge step forward for the nation for so many reasons so um it was a little bit of relief (laughs) you know there's obviously a lot more work that we need to do and that Biden needs to do but it was a very historic moment and moment I was really happy to be in Philly for so
2: well I'll I'll piggyback off that you know I I feel the exact same way like personally Ever since the election Tuesday, it was like, especially after I casted my vote, I felt like I physically couldn't breathe for, like, days. Like, the anxiety was heavy. I couldn't do, like, any of my schoolwork. Like, there was just such an intense anxiety in regards to what, what could happen, you know? Having personally seen via El Paso and the El Paso service trip, the effects of having this president in particular at the helm, seeing and following politics as a part of my classes and seeing the sharp departures from the norm, Mm -hmm. the infatuation with authoritarians and authoritarianism, which is still being displayed by the contesting and the willingness to try to attempt to undermine our democratic electoral process. You know, it was heavy. It was very heavy and I knew probably more than other people the stakes. It's not just another presidential election. This isn't like something you can just oh go back to work on. Like this is this is this is literally this is landscape changing. Like the entire landscape and reputation of the United States was at stake. And that was shown by the responses on Saturday, you know the it's very uncharacteristic in particular in our country uh, to see celebrations like that in the street. like that's that's something you see in third world countries. Like that is not characteristic of a democracy fully centered in the people that's it's weird it's not normal so with that being said it was I I definitely understand the sentiment you know the going out and even though we're in COVID so we have to be safe it, it was just such an emotional expression that felt so good you know just the feeling of going forward the feeling of having the possibility to change and have a sharp change you know really just poured out of people and I felt like I could actually breathe like for, for the first time I went to if I was in New York I would have been in the street party I'm not gonna lie <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. yeah gosh thank you both for sharing that just hearing each of your perspectives helps to ground me and just like what a momentous day and occasion that I mean occasion there's a new president like just momentous just event that this is I, you know, I have to say, while I, you know, have been feeling this excitement as well, I just also personally just worry about people, and in part myself, I worry about. I don't want us to let this exc- the excitement of the moment think, you know, oh, a Biden administration solves uh, the wrongs in this country. And I, you know, just this past summer with the renewed uprising with the Black Lives Matter movement, we've also we've also seen like there was just, everyone was sharing everything about it at the time. And there's just been a lot of decreasing in that. And people are saying, okay, this is not a moment, it's a movement, right? And so I just, I think about, do people really have their skin in the game when it matters, are people really, you know, are people, I'm just worried about, you know, some people who m- might have voted for Biden and now like, aren't as worried about systemic injustices because they think that maybe Biden winning will help cause that When really like, okay, he, yes, my, like, like I'm celebrating the fact that Trump's gone. And I feel like a lot, that's what a lot of people are celebrating. Right. But it's like, you know, Joe Biden is the system. Like at one point he said, oh, I am the party. Like he like he is in a lot of ways the system as a career politician. And so I just, I'm just, we're, I just am holding that intention. You know, those, those two things. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think <clears throat> just something like, I hold that as well. Like in short, um, there's a lot of thoughts and obviously Billy and I like, we have had um, being in Detroit, you know, both of us coming from different parts of the country and doing, paying more attention to social justice and paying more and not just paying more attention, but participating with um, organizations like Detroit will breathe. Um, and just talking in our community and, you know, the, the experiences that we had um it made me realize like okay um change is is a long game as difficult as it is to think about being an anti-racist society not just as a country but as a world like being an anti-racist community of people it's 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 much it's not just a quick fix when it comes to a new administration or a new executive branch or a new congress or city you know legislation it's it's all of us play a part some of us play you know as as white people we there is lot, our work is very different and in our approach and what, you know, we have to do compared to, um, you know, non-white folks and this and that. So, you know, what I'm trying to say is individual, this is, there are so many systems at play that um, when it comes to anti-racism and and addressing that, it's, this is not just a political government, Only entity and and solution. But I think also just I want to uh, talk and reflect on as we found out on Saturday that Joe Biden was the president elect, you know, four years ago when Trump was uh, elected, um, I think. I speak for a lot of people that we didn't expect that. We expected, you know, Hillary to win and we expected that That what the Obama years provided us, some would say it was, you know, the best ever. And we were on this trajectory of, of being a more equitable country and not just, a, you know, a global power, but being a more equitable, you know, society and I was like, yeah, like that's for sure with this Hillary Clinton administration, hopefully, like this will just continue, you know? And it wasn't really until leaving college and and JBC and really understanding it that you know, change, like I said, it's it's not just a political administration. It's not just you know, in one thing, there's no quick fix to this. And this is going to be always a process. There is no end game for being anti-racist. There's no end game for um, sustainability with our climate, with our um, new energy economy, with healthcare, with, with COVID and everything, you know, like there's new things that we are, you know, always having to respond to. Um, and I think it's important, you know, that we recognize that each of us plays an important part um, in that. And so um, I say all that to say, you know, I, I feel similarly to you, Billy, and like, I think a lot of other people, a lot of young people as well. It's like, You know, I don't think anyone was really excited about Joe Biden being, you know, our next president as a figure in and of itself. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he, I, I mean, that's just my personal opinion. Like I wasn't excited about like electing Biden as much as we're getting Trump out. I think there is a lot of, I like Biden a lot as a person. And I think he is, his story is really inspiring with, I mean, he has gone through so much loss in his life and he seems like a really grounded individual, which is nice to think about in politics. Um, so um, yeah, I, I. there's a lot that he has to prove and there's a lot of work that he has to do with, like you say, Billy in addressing systematic racism in our country. And he has a great opportunity um, with Kamala and with um, I think being the person that he is and, and listening to people and bringing in progressive voices as well as um, voices that are going to make the change that we want to see. So,
2: those are like that that perfectly kind of encompasses the like the feeling that I've definitely seen too, because if there's one thing out of these four years that I think kind of is a level of consolation in the desolation is I believe the American people or the majority of American people now see what it's like to have a bad politician, like an objectively bad one. Like, someone who cannot do the job, who is self-interested, who doesn't intend to act in the best interest of the majority. Like, that's one thing that I think out of this, which is so important, where the the thoughts of, okay, my vote doesn't count, or, well, what does it really matter if I vote? They're all the same, or those type of conversations, especially with the tight margins in states like Georgia and, Mm -hmm. like even Michigan at one point, it's like, okay, especially four years ago, you now see people understand that they have a voice, that they have a stake in this political system. And if they refuse to use that stake, the the effects that could have, which still blow over beyond four years, because there are a lot of fires going on right now that even the media hasn't picked up yet that are gonna have to be put out by this next administration. But with that being said, it's not simply good enough to show a neutral candidate. We're like, okay, I'm not just this person. I'm not a bad politician. You need to be a good one. There are a lot of deficiencies in our government and our systems that we have. Like, even when you look at some of the reasons why people vote for Trump, if you even put, I'll take racism and just general prejudice off to the side and address the people that still voted for him, which at a certain level is rationalizing away that, but the, okay, I'm a small business owner and my business, want I want to grow my business and I want more economic opportunity based on that. Like, why are you voting for, like, that? that's not the people you vote for. These are the traditional corporatists. Like, so with that being said, with this next administration, like they have a chance and a very, opportun- a very ripe opportunity to show what this country can be, like show what it's like to look after one another, show what it's like to really tell and demonstrate to people what their stake in this country looks like. Like it's not simply even being per like perfectly personified in the COVID relief. We're complaining about shutdowns right now because the federal government will not pass a bill that has been sitting in the Senate for over 200, probably 30 plus days that specifically targets in a more specific way, small businesses than the original because the understanding is of course to get through something like this, to get through a pandemic, the worst you've seen in a hundred years, people are going to have to remove themselves from the public. Businesses are not going to be able to operate as usual. So with that understanding, we need stimulus to give people back the money that's theirs, that they've invested into the system to get the result, to be able to keep these businesses open for after this. The, The willingness to shut down in different states or even nationally, which is very unlikely, by the way, would become more neutral if people had a guarantee that their business would be there at the end of it. And that is th- That is one example of things that need to be shown. Like you have got to show what it's like to the, the difference, the stark difference between this administration, this regime, and maybe even this party where they're at the given moment and show what it's like to work for the American people. And therefore that realigns our whole political system. Like, you can't be that far to the right if this is working. If this is what people see is working, you're going to have to come over or else you're never going to win. You're going to start losing traditionally red states. You're going to start, you're going to lose Texas. And if you lose Texas, it's really over. So things like that, that, that is what shapes our political system for the future.
1: Yeah, I like what you say about just like, maybe the Biden administration can, you, like the example you gave with small businesses, but- just thinking about the Biden administration can show us, you know, what is it like again? Like just even just thinking about the character involved, like Trump just had zero regard for being polite, for caring, for answering people's questions. He would just interrupt people. I mean, like, we know the things he said about women. We know the things he said about like Hispanics. We know the things he said about all these different communities, which are just awful. And like, I mean, the people that would rationalize a lot of the things he said. Oh, you know, it's we'll vote for him. Like that's not a deal breaker. I mean, that's a whole conversation. But I just think, you know, at least—and I mean—that kind of brings me back to this. Well, at least Biden is a decent. That's what so many people said about him. I remember watching the DNC. It's like everyone said he's—he's he's a decent man. It's, I was like, it was just, I just thought that was interesting. But it's like okay, like at least he's a decent human being like he he has a moral compass you know and I just think we've lost a lot of the decorum involved in being the president in the in the past few years with Trump and maybe that's one thing that that bite that a Biden administration can help uh bring bring back
2: and that's very true and it's kind of it's really to be blunt it's so sad because it's not even like Like my dad, for example, grew up in a generation where the conversation was always, it doesn't matter who is in the White House, they deserve your respect. And partially because in a lot of cases, they acted in a way that deserved respect. They were decent. They were polite. They were at least on the surface level kind. They they checked the boxes to deserve that bare minimum respect. So even the conversations we have domestically via internationally like it is a it tells you something that on the day that's that Saturday they're ringing the church bells in France they're parting in England like that that tells you something that tells you not only what they thought of us for the past four years it shows a level of concern for the future so the future is, is the important thing right now. You need to to prove to the rest of the world that you are what you say you are. You believe in the values you say you believe in, and you're here to stay, and you're going to continue to be the big dog you've always been in the in the global circuit.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's still wild, like, that millions of people voted for him, like, now, in this past election. I don't know the exact breakdown of you know, the demographics of, of voters that did vote for Trump for a second term. But, you know, this election was still close. This was still at closer than a lot of people were thinking. And, you know, there are still millions of people that, for whatever reason, despite his racism, his bigotry, his misogyny, his greed and corruption. Like, I don't know if there's been any other president that has had this much like turnover in terms of his like staff ever, or, you know, it's, so I was shocked just by the numbers of millions of people that still voted for him. I wonder, I wonder why, of course. But uh, I think it comes back to as well, like we are still a very divided country, still very divided people um, for, you know, whatever reason. But whether it be like social media or whether it be, are just how partisan politics has become since Trump has been in office. I was, I just watched a 60 minutes like clip of president Obama who just released his book, A Promised Land, which I really want to read. And um,
2: it's so good. I'm reading it right now.
0: now. I I just walked by a Philly bookstore uh, and it's a, it's $45 for a paperback, (laughs) not paperback, (laughs) hardcover. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll wait. But anyway, um, I mean, he just, Obama talks about the partisan, how partisan uh, politics was when he entered in 08 and how, you know, there would be Republicans that wanted to push forward for the Affordable Care Act, but, they were like, we really agree on these principles and, and what the Affordable Care Act does, but I can't lose my seat. Like I can't like, you know, I, and so it's really just, and, and you look at, I think what's also shocking with these election results and how Republican lawmakers in Congress are backing with Trump in terms of this, the election, you know, uh, we need to recount. We are not going to accept the results of the election.
1: What you shared, Patrick, just thinking about how divided we still are as a nation and how Ooh. so many people voted for Trump, not enough. Uh, obviously, Biden won, like you said. And he's the next president of our country. But just to take a step back for us to think about how divided we still are. And I just want to briefly share uh, Dave Chappelle, who hosted Saturday Night Live that Saturday that Biden was declared the winner. And he just briefly reflects on this. And then I want us to just hear what he has to say and then kind of unpack it a little more.
2: I would implore everybody who's celebrating the day to remember it's good to be a humble winner. Remember when I was here four years ago? Remember how bad that felt? Remember that half the country right now still feels that way. Please remember that. You know, that's that's a really, it's a really reflective point. And maybe I can try to surmise and talk about what Patrick said and what kind of Dave Chappelle touched on. Is like when you talk about the electorate, particularly with the Republicans. I don't know the proportions of each, but I I really put people in two camps. So there's there's definitely those people who are like, I am the card carrying racist. Those are your proud boys, your your, uh, KKK members. Those are those. Those are the people that looked at and were reinvigorated by a Trump presidency. The quoting of the racist Miami mayor and. Objectively, like like refusing to denounce white supremacy and the way he handled racial issues, the way he handled immigration specifically on the southern border, and those type of rhetorical comments that he would make while in the highest office in the land. And then there's people that ultimately, and and it might sound harsh, but they didn't care. Like they're in there. These are these single issue voters. These are the people that above all they're voting for a Republican president for maybe it's being pro-life and then refusing to do social welfare programs, which is inherently anti-pro-life, or maybe it's my business really needs to succeed, I, or I really personally make a lot of money or enough money, to where it would be nice to have more tax cuts or things like that. And a lot of what has been shown is the the biggest voting block is the firmly middle class that makes above a hundred thousand dollars and you know below four hundred that's usually considered to be wealthy. And that tells you kind of their main goal, and these people's main goal is not really to improve anything in a certain sense, but is really to protect what they have, you know, is to protect. And these are usually, I think the demographics that I saw was, these are particularly white, white voters in this range. And their goal is to preserve what they have. They may be from immigrant, immigrant households like Italian or different other groups that are considered white. And that is what the breakdown really consists of. So it's a lot of protecting what they already have. And the interesting part of it too is this is, this is the importance of grassroots work like maybe like highlighting the work that Stacey Abrams does where I I am a firm believer that no state is off limits. I would, if I was running for president, I would want to go if at all possible to Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, all these different other places to at least inspire people and express what a Donaldson presidency would look like. I would want to talk to these people to say like, Hey, look, this is what I want to do for your small business. You might, you may never vote for me, but this is what you're going to get out of me because ultimately I want to help you out. And that might sway people. And that's that's power not for power's sake.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
2: power for the sense of using that to actively affect change. And also kind of commenting on what we've seen over these past years. Each side has something that I would kind of like to call dark magic a little bit. And I feel like I started to see the dark magic a little bit under the Obama administration, and it started with the Tea Party 100%. And that this is another kind of camp that I'll throw in here, a third camp is, these are the people that got sucked into the authoritarianism of right-wing politics, because that is what right-wing politics is. i um, like, left-wing politics is more, you know, communism. On the more on the right, it's more authoritarian fascism. Like that authoritarian nature can suck people into it's very emotional. So that's one thing that I found interesting, even when you brought up the, like, the conversation of, hey, I wanna vote for the ACA. I wanna vote for these principles. I wanna vote in a way that helps my people in my city town, my constituents out, but I can't do that because of that dark magic that'll come in my career. Like that is, it's sad and it's something that needs to be addressed in the sense of, even what we're seeing now, the blind following. Because if you really ask any Republican at this given moment, do you honestly think the person you called dementia-filled, like four months ago, is responsible for the biggest election hoax in American history? I don't think any of them would, if they're answering truthfully, are going to give you that, oh, yeah, absolutely because we've gone from Joe Biden has dementia to now Joe Biden's a criminal. now Joe Biden stole the election. Now Joe Biden's not working alone. He's working with the Chinese. Like we've, we we have to empower people to not only know the politics, but also to feel comfortable breaking away, to create a, a political climate to where people are able to stand up for what is right and what is wrong, and they aren't punished based upon partisanship. And that's something that needs to be improved in an overall system of what a Biden administration needs to be able to bring it needs to be able to foster good faith although partisanship will probably always exist the notion of a person being the best for the job for their constituents and being able to do what they need to do Mm -hmm. for their constituents
1: yeah I just yeah thank you for sharing that and I just there's just such this divide it's almost like people can't talk about issues because they're so far apart on them. and it seems like it's just been increasingly so with Trump and I just wonder like what do we think with Biden like do we like do we truthfully ourselves think that uh, will will we as a nation like with our friends who disagree from us, with our family who disagree from us, and then with senators who aren't in agreement like, will people under this administration start to come together and have these conversations or will it continue kind of in the same trajectory it has been where people just become increasingly divided over these issues? That's just something that I've been uh, thinking.
2: Well, you know, it's very interesting because I, I would hope, And it just depends on how things go. And it's a little early to tell because we're still going through the motions that the spirit of the American people is better than what we're seeing. And the biggest thing about negotiations and learning and talking and communication is that both sides have to be willing to come to the table. Like both sides have to be willing to put down the arms and to come down and sit down and talk. Mm -hmm. And both sides have to be willing and able to compromise on things like legislation to get us to where we need to be slowly and surely as we start to see improvements in our society. So the the simple answer, of course, is I, I basically don't know. I hope this is the last time we ever see a Trump in any level of American politics. I hope Laura Trump doesn't run out of North Carolina for senator. I hope we don't see John Jr. run four years from now for president. I hope Donald Trump's in prison for starters. Like I hope we don't see any of these shady, nefarious characters re-enter American politics if if for no other reason that we have seen the effect that they have. We know their leadership styles and we know what it does to our country. And we cannot go through another period like this again and expect to be revered for our systems, our processes and the people we are if we continue to act and behave like this on a domestic and global scale.
1: One thing I think about too is I mean, Ken, you're joking about like, well, we don't want to see anyone in the Trump family, like in office. But I mean, it's almost like Trumpism. Like, there's tr- there's like people who have taken on the spirit of Trump in a lot of ways, and it's just this, this this way that he sows hatred and division, like as his platform, and just a way of like, you know, and just a lot of this supremacist rhetoric, a lot of this, like, oh, we need to keep, we need our people. Like we need to make this drawing. And, and, uh, I just worry about how that is still a part of, I mean, with Trump going away, that doesn't go away. And, uh, I mean, I still, you know, even if they're not Trump, even if they're not, you know, in his family, I just worry about, uh, you know, people who still have that, uh, in, in their spirit, just this this hatred that he has and this way of, you know, even just like speaking to people, but like, what has he done for
2: people? And it's just, I don't know. You know, like bottom line is what I would do is you've got to do such a good job. You're running out of politics. Like, and that, that's more of the kind of the Biden administration slogan should be in bold letters, put up or shut up. Like that is how it's gotta be. Because the reason why a lot of people have even drifted farther to the right on American politics is because they feel like the system, even after Obama, doesn't work for them. They feel as though they haven't received the care that they need, they haven't received the health care that they need. They feel like other people are mooching off the system, which isn't necessarily true, especially from a systematic standpoint. Like you have got to show people that this doesn't work. This isn't just not off principle, but off functionality. Like you've you've got to show people that they their stake in the system isn't being honored. Like you need to show what the politics of the Trump administration has done. You need to show specifically what people are trying to do, and you need to. I I do feel like especially in some southern places, you have black people in your community. You eat. You go to church with these with Black people, with Latinx individuals, with Chinese people, j- Japanese people, like all of these other different cultures are around you. And the implications of voting for a candidate that says that their life is intrinsically less valuable than yours because of the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. I and think, to pander and keep, oh, you can go. No, 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 sorry, <laughs> finish, please finish. You know, and just to continue to spread that type of hatred is like, that is one of the biggest selling points. So when you A, undercut the talk, because it's all talk, when you undercut that talk and then you get to attack the okay look, not only are they doing nothing for you, that person you eat, you break bread with, you pray with, you go to school with, you go to church with, that person is being said to have no value because the person you And yes, you vote for to put in the White House, the House, and the Senate. And that has got to change. I think
0: um, something, you know, something really positive on top of Biden winning this election um, and Trump, you know, soon to be leaving was the number of people that turned out to vote Um, there was the highest voter turnout of any U.S. presidential election. I'm not sure if in any other election in U.S. history, but you had millions of people show out for the first time. And not only that, but Kenny, I I think what you said about the importance of like grassroots uh, movements that have, like that is the key to not only getting rid of Trumpism, getting rid of, you know, that, um, what he has created, this culture that he's created of, of white supremacy of, not necessarily he created, he was an accelerant of these things have always been ingrained in our country, but, what this pandemic and what not this pandemic, but what this time has showed us is organizations like Detroit will breathe. They are the ones that help turn, I'm sure, thousands and thousands of new voters in Detroit. Um, i There have been hundreds, hundreds of other grassroots organizations. and I also think about, like, I mentioned LeBron James in our last episode, but you know what the NBA did in terms of stopping a game to protest and to talk with Wisconsin officials about James Blake and about the injustice that happened with um and that is still present in our police and policing in this country. You know and I think this is, I hope um, what this pandemic among other things has highlighted um, is the evilness of white supremacy in this country, how it has, how Trump has accelerated this and how throughout our country's history, we have seen just how destructive it is and we've seen how it is tied to our capitalistic nature as a country and as a world you know how white supremacy has been ingrained and that recognition but coupled with the grassroots movements that have happened during this time with black people latinx people of color, as well as, you know, white allies or white people together, but all of us taking action to recognize this and see how much work we have to do at an individual level, like, you know, me as a white man and, or, Know, white people, black people, people, Latinx people, um, Asians, on and on, and so forth. The different kind of work we both have we have to do individually, but also the power of what anti-racism does in creating the principles of our American democracy. Like that is how we get better, and across all the all systems, healthcare, um, science, engineering, business, you name it, the more that we do anti-racism work individually as a group, as in our communities, the further and more of a perfect union we will create, I firmly believe, and, it is tragic, you know, as, as a white person that, you know, it's taken a pandemic to really confront how sinister white supremacy is, has been in my life, not totally recognizing it at, at first and just what action I need to take now, Moving forward, and just as a people all together, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's you. You you raise a really important point that I feel like goes very missed. And that thing is, you can be a white supremacist without ever putting on a hood. You can you can be a white supremacist without ever being a Proud Boy, putting on your little hat and getting your AR fifteen and walking down the streets of Washington D.C. Like it is in the way. You think, you act, and you behave. And how you even vote. Because, like, how is white supremacy not voting for a white supremacist sympathizer? How is white supremacy actively ignoring and refusing to acknowledge, in a non-exclusionary way, that a certain racial ethnic group's lives matter? Period. End of thought. Then there is no, and these people don't, there's no supremacy to it. There is just a simple reaffirmation that a simple, that one particular socioeconomic, that racial ethnic group matters. And that's not considered white supremacy. It's not considered white supremacy to even ignore, like, other things, like when it's time to talk about, like, how do we do public school funding and how that affects schools of color. Like, even it was in ways that you don't even understand. I was talking to someone who is less versed in these ideas of, like, even environmental justice. Like, we'll see, there's environment. The person was like, there's an environmental racism now. They just keep making stuff up. I'm like, okay, let's wait a second, though. Because let's look at dumping in the city of Detroit that these big companies do. And look at where these companies put their factories, and they billow smog up into the, the, the air, and these factories are placed. And look at, look at the areas that, that these are and how industrialized they are and what racial ethnic group endures all this. What group of people usually have asthma that live in these areas that high, have high asthma rates? Because that all plays into it. Again, you brought up to like our economic structure. Yeah, it, because it's centered around getting away and maximizing the profit while also doing it in an area where the people will complain the least because of their resources. So that all plays into white supremacy. That all plays into people getting down and being kept down and them staying down. Flint still doesn't have clean water like years later. And there has been every opportunity to fix that. And I
1: think as you said, Patrick, like this is the importance of like for white people like how do we be anti-racist because as we're saying like this is built, like this country has been built on these notions that favor people with certain identities, right? Like we talk about male privilege, we talk about like white privilege and it's important to recognize these privileges or even think about how do we have prejudices towards others and not that prejudices are inherently wrong, it's just how we've been raised, how we have gone through the world up till now but it's the important work of starting to recognize those prejudices and starting to recognize how, when you're in, you have an identity that has power, how those prejudices can really play out in in the world. And I think, I mean, so many people, like I like Kenny, what you're saying, like people can like, you know, there's white supremacists that aren't wearing a hood. Right? And it's just like when you fail to recognize prejudice that you have that's a real failure and how that plays out and how you vote and like how does your vote affect not just yourself like I think it's so individual personally I think it's so individualistic like just to think oh does my am I voting in a way to benefit myself but like can you expand that how does this vote affect those who have the least how does this vote impact those who are suffering on the margins and it's like you have to it's a real challenge to try to for people who have privilege to, to move past kind of that guilt that comes when you recognize prejudice. And because a lot of people are kind of stuck there and then they don't want to, they don't want, they, they, they think, oh, privilege isn't real. They think all these things, because I think a lot of people are kind of stuck in this. It's really hard to recognize and to, to, to work with. And for me, for a lot of people to pray with and to try to move, move past these things and to not be stuck in, inaction, but to, to see how is this going to shape your life? How is this gonna shape your vote? Like, that's a simple thing. How is this gonna shape your vote? And so, yeah,
2: yeah. It's a very mature thing to have to be able to do. And it's sad to say people can't always do it because maybe their mind or their heart isn't in the right place. Because ultimately like, look, if you have the heart to be anti-racist or you really don't wanna be racist, if I come up to you I'm like, Billy, for example, you would never, but Billy, I don't like what you said here. And I felt that was a racist statement. The normal anti-racist response isn't, you know, I'm not racist. Come on, Kenny. Mm -hmm. I didn't call you a racist. What I said was that individual statement right there was prejudice, bias, and a racist statement. So you have to address that. It's a lot of self-reflection. It's a lot of, okay, I was raised with this bias. And this bias, I don't want to let this bias define the person who I am. So I'm going to listen, I'm going to learn, and I'm going to do my best to undercut what I had been conditioned for years. Because it ultimately, it's not your fault that you have the bias. It's the fault that you keep the bias, that you don't address that. It's like getting hurt. Like, it's not your fault you twisted your ankle, but you need to go and go to the doctor and rehab and do what you need to do to get healthy again. So that that's the conversation that needs to be had and it's starting to happen you know you see like Emmanuel Acho and his his show and you see you, the conversation are starting to happen but the internalization also needs to happen too like look i am fully prepared to say that you are not like to really accept you as a anti-racist non-racist person but you're going to have to work for it like this is this is one thing where it's not like it's not for me it's for us it's for our community because we're whether we like it or not We like to think of individualism, but we're not individualistic. The economy, our businesses, our lives, even look at COVID, we're all interconnected. So that's why your decision affects me. Like the way that we decide to vote as a community affects everyone in the community. It doesn't just affect one person. Your vote doesn't simply affect you. It has a blowback effect. So with that in mind, there needs to be that com- that commune of conversation, but also that commune of internalization. you have to, you have to get it.
1: Yes, I love what you're saying, and I think I want to bring it back to like how you said like you would campaign in Montana and like all these states, like not because you're going out for a vote, like just because like you want to make sure people hear your message, and it's like thinking like what are people's internal motivations like am i oh am i gonna watch this documentary about race so i can get my ally, my white ally card like is that what i'm here doing mm-hmm. or am i internally like you said that self-reflection am i actually doing that hard work of looking in and not like especially like sometimes on social media people are so like like okay who is who is sharing the most or like who is who is an ally or just like and especially i saw a lot within the, like the white community like this past summer it's just like
2: it's okay. performative yes performative you went, yeah 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 it's like you 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 did all that and went out and voted for trump so like it doesn't those two things don't coincide and it's, I've, I've been disappointed because it's like i won't call anybody out in particular but it's like i've Hold seen that. you cry no. like it's it's crazy i've seen you cry crocodile tails at the border and then you come back and say, MAGA, like, I, look, it, it's beyond me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, because it's at a certain point you, and it is, I'm trying not to call anybody out, but it's like, look, we, you don't, the, I'll say it like this. You don't tell where a man is based upon where his mouth is, it's where his feet are. It's about what, what, what are you doing and what is your participation? So Why? I don't believe the tears and the crying and the, oh, we're going to do this, that, the other, and you go out and vote for a particular person that is overtly against that position. How are you for equality? How are you for Black Lives Matter when we're asking this person to unequivocally denounce white supremacy and he can't do it? Like, in the conversation, goes, well, well, he's done it before. You should do that every time without fail. Like, if you ask me to outside of race to denounce what uh, sexism or uh, I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking of the word uh, homophobia, like without fail, it's not a problem. Time, date. I just. Trump is both of those things too. (laughs) Yeah. But it rolls off the tongue. It's not a reservation of mine. So you don't, you don't get to have your cake and eat it too. You don't get to be, Oh, I'm for, all of these different things and then not put your money where your mouth is like those it doesn't mix it's oil and water your your heart's not really where you say it is if you're willing to hurt other people in the long run if you're willing to continue the hurt that people are experiencing how are we supposed to believe that it's sad It's, it's really something that's kind of it's, it, that that's one thing that's kind of stuck heavy on my heart in particular like a, a lot of people will tell you a lot of different things and they'll hide it they'll, they'll ultimately you know they'll they'll encapsulate they'll they'll, they'll hide it away from you but they're like oh we're for this or oh we're for that well, we're all with that and then when the time comes for them to display that it it doesn't translate you know and that it's sad and it's, it's partially why we are where we are as a society and as a people, and as a country, is because ultimately we don't believe what we say we believe. Like, we don't get to say we believe in democracy and then see what we see happening now with the election results, like these election certification Like, we don't get to say we believe in, in freedom for all and liberty and then turn around and not weed out quickly and swiftly the what we do at the border with what we do in policing and we it's a back and forth on the value of this and the validity of it as if anyone would make this up on a systematic level it's the refusing to come to grips with our nation's history because that's a part of it too you can't get the desired result when you're ducking reality you know
0: Kind of tying this to, this all goes back to Dave Chappelle, right? Billy, this is all going back to Dave. Um, something from Dave's uh, monologue, most recent monologue, I, I forget the exact verbiage that he said this, but he was just talking, he was talking about how like, you know, there are millions of people tonight This was Saturday night of when we found out Biden won. There are millions of people tonight, white people that are frustrated, that are frustrated because they didn't feel like their voice was heard tonight. There are millions of white people out tonight that millions of white cops that are feeling like they have a target on their back. And then Dave was like, I feel those things too. I feel those things more than maybe any white person more than anyone. And he said something along the lines of like the difference between you, and he's you is the white person and me is that I don't I don't hate you. I don't hate you because you are white or because you are a cop. I I hate the feeling that it has. I hate the feeling of this. And I think for me, like, that's just, that's been something at a fundamental level about being anti-racist it's not a black and white, it's not a black and Latino. it's not a what it's not these labels. It's the emotion. I think it's it's a it's the the feeling and it's what it comes down to is a humanity. It's, this is a being a more human effort that each of us has a responsibility to like that's, that's what it means to be human is being anti-racist. The George Floyd video, Jacob Blake, what I saw in those videos and what I've seen protesting is I think for the first for the first time for many people white people but for a national uh, presence at a national stage we felt that emotion we felt that this is not black this is not just a political thing this is not a political um partisan divisive Movement. This is a human movement. This strikes a chord with every human being.
2: Yeah, that's so important. Like, because that's the nature of progress. Progress isn't exclusionary, you know? Like, also, I I realize I've been speaking rather ambiguously, especially for a recording. So just just for everyone listening, I am an African-American male. (laughs) 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 but going on from there like as a black man you know when i'm advocating for on behalf of black lives matter and police reform and you're getting in these arguments and you're saying like well what about the the white man that was killed by police officers unjustly him too like that's the point like face first to the point you still missed it like this is police reform it is Reform, it was centered in the oppression of African-American males, but you as white people are not excluded from that progress. Like, we we understand the nature of power and systems and things like that. So we want to see this system improve. It's not to say that if you ever put on a badge, you're the spawn of Satan, but it's to say we can do this job better. The way that we treat and that we handle policing in this country is not the same as you would handle someone who messed up continuously on a nine to five business job. You would be fired. If these levels of breaches existed in the, in corporate America, in law, as a, as a future lawyer, I don't have a job. Like, so we have to hold people with a position that literally is a life or death scenario every time they put on a badge that they operate in a way that doesn't abuse that power and that doesn't cause someone unjustly to lose their life because that's permanent. Mm-hmm. And those reforms spread over every racial ethnic group. So that's what, the, that's what progress is.
1: Maybe we could close our conversation this evening by each sharing one thing that we hope that Biden could accomplish in his next four years or maybe Either sharing that or sharing like, what's something you you wish you could say to Joe?
0: I think in the immediate, immediate, you know, future, uh, I would like a national response to this pandemic. There's a reason why we are leading the world as a country when it comes to COVID positive cases and also deaths. We have seen the Trump administration fail to acknowledge science, fail to care for the lives and dignity of of people uh, in, in, in a medical and healthcare capacity. And I think the Biden administration, with a national response, with setting national protocol for mandatory masks uh, across all fifty states in u s territories, uh, you know, s- uh, social distancing mandates, hand sanitizing mandates, at a national level, if we do these basic things that you know several states have done for since March and and um, and that you know, just sort of precaution that seems so fundamental for a nation that is one of the most powerful, wealthiest, and smartest nations in the world. That would be nice. <laughs> and I think Biden, I pray and I hope Biden uh, does that. <laughs> Um, I also hope you know uh, we talk about anti-racism. We've talked about it a lot during this time together. But criminal justice reform, police reform.
1: Um, you had your one. I said, "What's one thing?"
0: I, I just have <laughs> a roll, Billy. I just want to keep going.
1: <laughs> he was
0: hot. i make excited.
1: I'm gonna cut off your mic, like at the debates.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we have to fly now. So, can you see Mike Pence's fly? Uh, okay. Good answer. Good answer. Sorry. Right, right. Did I give the right answer?
2: So, do you want me to go next, boys?
1: Sure. What would you? Yeah.
2: You know, one thing I will say to President-elect Joseph R. Biden junior is um you know one thing that i've been pondering is he was voted in as the not the least progressive candidate so and i think that he needs to find the happy medium between what progressives do now and where he is because just to clarify you know my main thought of what i say with modern day progressives is they have a propensity for the deep ball they want all of it as much as they want the whole thing right now. They throw it up, they they put all their eggs in one basket, they go all the way in and they end up getting nothing because it's so, it's so incredibly risky and it's so very non-strategic, in my opinion. Just simply coming out first play of the game, like in football and throwing a deep ball, is hard to do and it's hard to convert on. So, but at the same time, you can't play it too conservative. Because I feel like it when reflecting on. Obama era policies, generally speaking, that's that he, he wanted to be a unifier. He wanted, but he also wanted to kind of wean people into progressive politics. He didn't want to scare people away with these very overarching, you know, government programs. But what is incredibly apparent is that that won't necessarily work this time, especially because we saw what happened in the aftermath of 2016, you know and people don't really identify with it. They don't see how that works for them. So you need more than just very small incremental change. So my suggestion to him would be, get something, get big piece of legislation, really minister to the American people what these policies and this politics can do for them without going all uh, the way in and getting nothing.
1: we love to see it, that'd be great. <laughs> I have just been thinking Kenny, you talked about uh, immigration politics and the awful things that Trump has done on the Southern border. And uh, I've just been thinking about what will a Biden administration look like as far as, you know, what will it mean for DACA recipients? What will it mean for people getting citizenship? What will it mean for asylum seekers and, just hoping that he can treat people with humanity in a way that Trump has not done, and hoping that he can make gains towards people being able to get citizenship within a reasonable time period, and hoping he can make uh, strides as far as that issue. That's one thing that I've been thinking about, especially thinking about how you know the Obama administration was not known for being wonderfully accepting of immigrants to say the least so yeah well thank you guys for this conversation and for breaking open uh what we have been feeling the past few weeks and what we uh have been thinking about good old joe and hopefully we can restore the soul of the nation
0: but it'll take all absolutely. of us
2: yeah, absolutely thanks for inviting me boys It was a great time